Welcome to The Pestle, reviewing and breaking down the movies to look for insights into the movie-making process. Hosted by Goose and Maverick. Let's kick the tires and light the fires. Welcome to The Pestle, everybody. Today's show is brought to you by Taste for Love. Experience Count Dracula's rock opera this week at Carnegie Hall. Offer void where prohibited for some reason. I don't know why. I don't ever know where you get these things. (laughs) Welcome to The Pestle. I am Wes. And I'm Todd. And this is a show where we like to break down a film and give you some film analysis in a multitude of ways. Not only you know what we think, what we liked, what we didn't like, mm-hmm. two snaps in a full circle or whatever. Uh, we also, that's a In Loving Color reference for you. Oh, okay. Thank you. I think it's three snaps technically. Yep. But. That's this two already. We're like 30 seconds in. So two <laughs> things that have happened that I have no idea where they came from. So. Todd just, you know, he's just happy to be here. Yeah, I, he really am. I just fly around <laughs> aimlessly <laughs> through the sky. <laughs> so we like to do a lot of analysis, not just, you know, the, the easy stuff, but we like to t- see if we can find out what's a film really about. A really good film, if you ever feel like, man, my life would make for a really good movie or I have a really good movie idea, well... A good idea is like the bottom of the barrel beginning place because a really good movie has themes and it's about more than what it's about. It works on multiple levels. There's layers to it. And I've seen so many producers and studio executives say, I won't even consider a film unless I read through the script and I'm picking up the sense of theme. Mm. And so if you can't even get to that point, it's going to be really hard to make a make a movie with any backing, but then to make it a good movie. That's where all the good stuff really starts to creep in. So what's the theme of Dumb and Dumber? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, we just did that episode. Yeah. Just, I, I wasn't even going to try to figure it out Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I, I get it. But I get it. There's got to be an exception to every rule. Yeah, right. That's That proves the rule. There you go. It's like, exactly. That's how you know it works. Yep. <laughs> so today we're doing Attack the Block. Yeah. If you have not seen this, beware. There are so many spoilers coming yes. your way. And if you're like us and you don't like spoilers, you don't even like a hint of them, go away and watch the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we'll... So pause it right now if you haven't seen Attack the Block because we're about to give you a little synopsis. Uh It's a very little synopsis, but a teen gang in South London defend their block from an alien invasion. Spoiler number one. Uh, Written and directed by Joe Cornish, starring John Boyega. Awesome. Uh, As Moses, Jodie Whittaker as Sam, Alex Esmail as Pest, Leon Jones as Jerome, Franz Drama as Dennis, Simon Howard as Biggs, and Nick Frost as Ron. You're such a waste. Why is it always trouble with you? Why is it always someone getting robbed or beaten up or someone getting arrested? Listen, we can't deal with this on our own. We have to call the police. You can trust me. I'll tell them what really happened. You think the police is going to help them? They might not arrest you, but they'll arrest them. For murder of two police officers, vehicle theft, resisting arrest, everything that happened everywhere and it ends tonight. They arrest us for nothing already. You know what I reckon, yeah? I reckon the Fed sent them anyway government probably bred those creatures to kill black boys first they sent drugs to the ends then they sent guns now they sent monsters to get us they don't care man we ain't killing each other fast enough so they decided to speed up the process believe (laughs) john boyega man yeah man god i remember watching this and i i don't remember if i got to see it in the screening or if i just 
got a part of some Alamo Draft House thing, but I remember seeing this uh, interview with the Joe Cornish, the director, and it's him and John Boyega. I think it was actually, they just had one of those promos right before they run the movie. Mm-hmm. The Alamo Draft House loves to do all these special guest stars, and uh, before they ran the movie, they had them both sitting down. I was like, you know, why is this guy, uh, John Boyega, you know, about to talk to us? And the director, Joe Cornish, was so excited about him. He's like, y'all don't understand, this guy's about to be a star. This is back in 2011. Yeah. And he just wow. knew this guy's got the goods. Yeah. And clearly, if you've seen him in anything since then, um, God. What else has he done? I mean, I mean, Star most Wars. notably Star Wars, right? Right. But um, beyond that, I mean, I'll have to pull it up. <laughs> All good. All He's right. got the new Pacific Rim. I mean, that's yeah, out right. right now, but right, for I'm sure, trying to for think sure. of the other things that I've seen him in since I don't know that I really have because I mean, of, maybe not, but uh, because I was, Oh, Detroit, which he's excellent in. Yeah. Oh um, yeah. But that's still recent too. That's still that's pretty like, recent. I mean, this was really the first thing that got him out there Yeah. beyond this. I mean, I haven't seen Imperial dreams and he's got just a, a, a list of other things that are like TV roles and that kind of thing. But that's awesome. Before he had any, anything after this, before he had stars or anything, he just that, believed in them. Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. It's pretty cool. Must have felt pretty good as John Boyega, too. Yeah. <laughs> to know that Joe Cornish is all over him. Because he really doesn't, that's the most dialogue he has in the entire film, really. Yeah, he doesn't have a whole lot. No, and it's all, you know, just character, strong character impersonation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Physical presence. And it's interesting because he, you get to the end of the film, right? And she's like, how old are you? Yeah. He's like 15. You're like, geez, man, you're. You acting like a 25 year old <laughs> he says thank you yeah. <laughs> which when i was 15 i would have said thank you too oh definitely now i wouldn't be so happy yeah. about that. <laughs> <laughs> like really i look older than 38 come on huh. but he has all these great little moments that are not only uh strong and powerful but he has these little childlike moments where everyone's laughing and he kind of lets himself laugh at you know probs and mayhem right yeah and so he does just great job of balancing he's a kid or he should be a kid, yeah. But he's having to put on the the uh, the facade of an adult, a full yeah. grown man, due to his circumstances, which uh, we'll get into. But yeah, yeah I loved him. So you, Yeri Nay, how do you feel about the Attack movie? The Block? Yeah. Oh, it, it, I loved it. I, I mean, okay, I'm a sucker for sci fi. I can count this as sci fi. Um, you know, Same. anything with the aliens, I count as sci fi. Yeah. So I'm a sucker for it in general. Uh, but there, there's a few things that I loved about it specifically one is that they didn't go crazy and overboard with with special effects it was you know i'll let you talk about the creatures because i know that you just love the creatures they kept it it's very down to earth it's i mean it's shot like a a normal drama um in a lot of ways or or normal suspenseful drama Mm -hmm. in in a lot of ways um instead of uh like um, a crazy action film, even though it is a crazy action film, there's, you know, really dramatic shots of the building in particular and, and, um, a lot of like close up, shallow depth of field kind of stuff. It just, it makes it beautiful. The coloring in it is beautiful. It reminds me, it honestly reminds So one of my favorite British bands is block party. Hmm. And it, it just so happens that that it those colors remind me of their album weekend in the city, which is one of my favorite albums. And, there's a lot of greens and a lot of yellows and it's a picture of the city on the cover of their record. And so when I, when I saw this movie the whole time, I'm thinking 
Block Party should be the soundtrack to wow. this. This is crazy, even though the music was perfect. Yeah. It was just absolutely perfect, which is another thing I loved about it. They didn't go overboard and try to do anything too much. They did a little bit of a lot of things, and and all of all of it was well. So for all of you out there who are trying to make a movie and trying to make a good one, another thing to stick with, I mean, I think anybody in any profession will tell you this. You know, if you're going to do it's a lot harder to do like really huge things unless you have a massive budget and 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 people who really know what they're doing it's a lot easier to do a bunch of tiny things really well and this goes back to your your comment about theme um you know it starts with the script right you have a, a story's really, free story yeah exactly <laughs> a story is free and and in the story you don't need to tell this massive, huge, you know, like Lord of the Rings <laughs> epic thing. You can tell a tiny, tiny little story with uh, 10 other tiny little threads that are all perfectly wound. And it's a much better movie than if you were to try to make the next Lord of the Rings, you would absolutely fail, <laughs> you know, like, like nine times, out, 10 times out of 10, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I just think that they did everything, you know, really tastefully and the acting is fantastic even from all the kids, mm-hmm. all the kids. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, yeah, it was great. I would I would give it probably a 9 out of 10. Nice. Yeah. Solid. Agreed. Nine. Agreed. Yeah, yeah me mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So good. I love the uh going back to the building. I love how they shot it because I think it ends up tying into the theme of the film really well, which I'll get into later. Well, I'll try to get into. This one's a toughie. But they shot it with these really wide-angle, up-close lenses. And whenever you shoot in that wide of a lens, the closer you get it to an object, the more you get a sense of the geography of that object. And so if you want to have a really good sense of a room, shoot a wide-angle lens, and now you can tell really easily how far away one thing is from another. But then if you get the camera right up on that thing it really dramatizes the size and scale of it. When you're dealing with something like a building and you want it to be tall and scary and this character almost, right? Um, Then you want to make it as dramatic as possible. And so they get this dramatic angle down low, looking straight up at the building and you have these huge spotlights that add a lot of contrast, uh, a lot of highlights and shadows, right? the brighter the light is, the more contrast it's going to add to your, to your image. And then it also gives, you know, a really dangerous feeling and it really feels like a prison. Yeah. It's kind oh. of the uh, feeling it gives off. Right. 100%, yeah. Which really helps add uh, drama to the aliens. All of this helps add drama to the aliens, scaling the building later on. Mm-hmm. And it's, and we'll get back to that prison thing in a little bit. Oh, you got something to score. <laughs> I think so. Uh-oh. Um, an attempt anyway. Maybe I'm not high enough to do this one. <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do, do the next episode where you get drunk? <laughs> That's a really good question, actually. We'll have to find a good one. Let's, yeah, let's think, we'll think of one. All right. I love the, uh, also love the opening. I didn't get a chance to really uh, study. There's two openings, really. You have the, the title sequence where the nurse is walking and then she gets robbed. And then after that, you kind of have the inverse because she's walking right to left. And I think all of them start walking more of a left to right. And so anyway, I didn't really study those two contrasts enough to figure out what's what. But them walking back from killing the alien back to their building, I love all the setup that you're getting out of that. They're really maximizing uh, that 
whatever it is, five minutes, you know, it's pretty quick, but you're getting so much story and they're using the music to kind of carry you there. And they start intercutting the nurse, describing them. And so there's, there's a lot of setup. One, uh, we get to see that impossible jump that we utilize later on, right? Where the kid stands up and he's like, I can make that jump. Yeah, right. And then he gets back down because he doesn't want to make that jump. That's, yeah. that's scary, man. That's parkour. You got you to be <laughs> hardcore, <a> little, parkour. <laughs> hardcore parkour. Hardcore <laughs> parkour. <laughs> then you also got to, uh, you have the lady friends. We meet all the, uh, yeah. the girls that introduces a little bit more of the character of Moses. And mm-hmm. we see that there's a bit of an attraction happening between him and one of the girls and he values their opinion, but at the same time, uh, he's not succumbing to it. Yeah. And so we get also a sense of the jokester. Uh, uh, what's his name? <laughs> uh, pest. Yeah, which yeah. Is apt, and so you get a lot of a deeper sense of who these people are as as you know within each other, because yeah. they're different from what we just saw. We saw them initially, right? Yeah, right. It's thugs. Thugs. Yeah. They have masks on. We don't know. We're kind of scared. Whenever you run into these characters at the beginning of a movie, you kind of just assume the nurse is the good guy. Yeah, right. And all these people are our bad guys. Right. And so we immediately twist that around on their walk back. And now we're kind of empathizing with them a little bit. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because you've talked about this kind of stuff on earlier episodes. And so now I'm noticing it <laughs> in, in, in movies. But, you know, the whole them walking left to right, mm-hmm. coming back. Well, in that scene where they meet the girls and you, you're starting to realize, oh, you know, like really what they are or whatever. And also for another reason, but I'll get to it in a second. The camera actually goes in between them and and you start seeing them from the other direction. So they start, and then when they leave frame, they leave right to left. Hmm. And uh, so it, my way of thinking in that, and this is, I just could be throw this in the wind, I don't even know, but is one, it switches our view of them, right? Mm-hmm. From their, you know, now they're, instead of going left to right to going home, they're going right to left, which was the same way she was walking. And and also, it puts us much closer to the alien itself when he th- when Pest throws it in their in the girl's face. Mm-hmm. So the camera wise, it's we're we're part of that whole experience of yeah. like the alien getting thrown in the face. It doesn't necessarily come towards us, yeah, uh, but we're closer to it than if we were to be on the other side of of Moses where Moses is in between us and the alien. You know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah, yeah. No, sense? that's really cool. Um, and so there's, there's that might have been, at least in the 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 DP's eyes, a way to transition them. Maybe yeah. maybe even in in Joe Cornish's eyes, maybe he it was his idea, but to transition them into the 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 good guys. Quote yeah, interesting. No, that's a really good call. Cool, cool yeah. call. The other setup I really love on the uh, the walking scene is Probs and Mayhem. We get to meet them. They become key subplot characters throughout the film. And what I love about it that I I was watching it again earlier tonight while I'm making my notes, I kind of have it running in the background and it's one of those movies I can't help but watch. And yeah. So I keep getting sucked into it and watching Probs and Mayhem when we're introduced to them. Do you know what they're doing? They're burning a fire in a trash bin. Yeah. That's effectively foreshadowing what they do later in the film <laughs> when they're rescuing their guy. Uh, I don't remember which character it is, oh, right. but he's in, he's trapped in the trash can yeah. and they save him by fire. Yeah. And that's just this really subtle nuanced thing that it's kind of thing where he might say, I don't know what to have these kids doing. I mean, they're just getting in trouble, the troublemakers. Oh, you know what? 
Fire. Fire. Trash yeah. bin. Yeah, we're not going to give them knives and guns because yeah. that makes them that makes them actually dangerous. Yeah. You know, but like. No, fire. Kids yeah, play with fire. Like, I played with fire. Yeah, right? You play with batches and <laughs> yeah. stuff. It's not Too harmless. Yeah. <laughs> not harmless kids. Don't do this at home. But yeah, yeah. If you're going to give a, a, a kid, you know, a good kid, yeah. some kind of weapon, like that's a pretty good one. It is. It's great. Yeah. And then they end that whole sequence with walking into uh, the building itself. And there's this awesome transition where you're l- looking up. Oh, yeah. And as you pass underneath the building and then it slowly pans back down and it's just this beautiful, long, slow trailing shot that gives me goosebumps. It's like this. I think it also kind of is key because it shows that this film is in no rush. Yeah. And to your point, like they don't do too much throughout this film. It's never about how quickly can we get to the next stunt, to the next kill, to the next action sequence. It's all about let's establish these characters as firmly as possible so that we understand the needs between each section set up. And there is zero fluff in this movie. Mm-hmm. We talked about that after we watched it again. I mean, from the very first scene, you see the comet coming in, the, the alien coming in. Yeah. The very first thing you see <laughs> is, is that little thing. And, but the, it doesn't cut away. The, the camera pans down and then you meet everybody immediately. Yeah. <laughs> It's and, awesome. Yeah, it's, it's like great. There is no fluff there. And then at the very end, it just like it's just in oh, and man. out. Like there is no added. That's true. Stuff. There's no. You look up on that. his satisfied look and yeah. then and cut then, to sm- uh, black. Yeah. What, why would you need to add any? Why does he need to say anything? He hasn't said anything the whole damn movie <laughs> anyway. You know, <laughs> it's just so good. It's just, yeah. It's just great writing, great directing, and and great editing. Like yeah. knowing where to where to say that's it. Absolutely, yeah. and. Speaking of the uh, the kids, like I love that they're like you said earlier, they're, they're pretty average looking kids. I mean, they don't look like action heroes, and mm. uh, maybe John Boyega, um, but that may have more to do with his styling um, and his just physical presence. But I love that this comes across as kind of an R-rated Goonies, you know? Yeah, yeah. Everyone has their function, right? Um, you have all these kids on bikes defeating aliens, and it just feels like something uh, a little Spielbergian, even yeah. though they don't rely too heavily on his style. But it has that feeling of, you know, youth. It's, oh, man. Yeah, I to- it totally feels a little Spielbergian. But <laughs> can I say this? Better. Ooh, so I have a problem with Spielberg and I've I've made it known before. Sorry, Steven. I know we're close. We talk every Tuesday night for half an hour, but, uh, it just feel like a a lot of stuff that I see, especially lately is just very contrite and it's like just obvious and everything is lit very poorly. And it's just, it's not, it's not enough, right? I don't know any other way to say it. It's not enough, but this was totally enough there is never a moment I think anybody is safe. Mm-hmm. And a moment I do think somebody is safe, they turn out not to be, right. <laughs> you know, which is great. It's like much more real. Like the odds of everyone surviving something like this, every child right. in this surviving, not just like adults, but children who don't have guns, a lot of guns or anything like are, are very slim. And this was, told in a in a way that I was like worried for them the whole time instead of thinking oh they're totally going to get away or whatever and even at the end when when John Boyega is when Moses is trying to do his epic thing to to defeat the the aliens I'm thinking oh he's totally going to die yeah 
Yeah. There's no way out. He's There's just no way out. Yeah, he sacrificing. Knows and, yep. you know, yeah. And it's great because it really pays into his character arc too, right? The, yeah. The bad guy who becomes a hero. Yeah. Um, and you see that reflected largely through the nurse and the way she views him because it starts out, you know, uh, she's finally talking to the cops and she's giving them, them the rundown and they find him. We'll get into all that later, but he has this beautiful character arc um, that comes and finally zeroes in on that hero's moment. And speaking of that specific moment, I've watched all the behind the scenes of this. It was years ago, but I still remember bits and pieces. And one of the bits that really stayed with me, which may be silly to you, is that whenever he's hanging outside the window, holding on to the flag, right? Uh, they were showing the behind the scenes of that moment. And the director, Joe Cornish, is telling him, no, 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 you need to sag your shoulders in so that it looks like you're really hanging there because he was supported. Mm. And he's like, we got to get the physicality right on this thing or else it's going to look, you know, fake. And so it's all the little things that you have to consider that you may not think about whenever you're shooting something or a stunt that you're trying to make it look more dangerous. He's like, how would it look if you were actually hanging there? No, you're, you're kind of slack, <laughs> you know, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're just dangling there and you don't want to use all the tension just yet. And so, yeah, I love that little moment. There's some other moments that I'll bring up here in a minute. Um, but Getting into the uh, the last thing I think I'll say with the characters, I love the theory guy. You have this in every movie like this that's just got a really complicated like, wait, what's going on? And you need someone to kind of spell it out for the audience. Yeah, <laughs> And you have that that college guy who gets sucked in. He wasn't really from that area, from that neighborhood. Yeah, right. He comes in to buy his weed and his car gets destroyed. <laughs> that poor guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And that's symbolic of some other stuff. But I love at the end of the film, he, he explains everything that's happening. He essentially happening. saves everyone. Yeah. I with mean, his wild theory. Yeah. Which is rooted in panspermia. Yeah. And it's just great. Like, <laughs> here, audience, here's your spoon, which I think we somewhat sort of got it. But having explained to you in this grander uh, cosmic scale and understanding was like, oh, you know what? On the one hand, this is kind of saying what would panspermia maybe look like? And it's super simple because I don't know how that creature gets back into the sky <laughs> Yeah, right. to float through and yeah. continue evolving. But uh, I love that, you know, you just kind of have that guy and we forced him to stick around and now he serves a purpose to the, to the story and to the plot. Yeah. That ultimately, like you said, saves everyone's ass. <laughs> yeah. And something, so something like that, it could have been the first thing I thought what when you could see all the all the the stuff on him mm-hmm, on the black Moses light. on the, under the black light was that well even before that I thought they're chasing him because they know he killed the female hmm. right but not necessarily because of the the um, pheromone pheromone thing mm-hmm. like that makes it earthly yeah that makes it more realistic, you know, because it is the pheromone aspect and not just, Oh, they have this intrinsic <laughs> mental connection with the, the female and they know that he killed the female. And so now they're going, no, it was much more rooted in like what could possibly be nature and, and yeah. reality, you know? And another way of not going that extra, what the fuck is that? And, you know, out of, out of nowhere and saying, no, okay, let's root this a little bit. Let's root this story. So it has, it has, you know, it's grounded. And so people can actually latch onto that. Cause that's, that's 
that could happen on earth, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure it does in some species. And somewhere. that's what he says. There. I think like beetles and other stuff, which yeah. I don't know nothing about that. I don't know. <laughs> We're not going to talk about beetles. <laughs> I love, so I'll lightly touch on like some camera work and editing. Like I love the, uh, the section and this really ties back to the writing, which ties, helps the editing whenever they're having this conversation after she's been robbed and she's talking to one of her neighbors and describing, yeah, I just got mugged. They took, you know, all my stuff and my ring. And that lady says they're, they're freaking monsters. And she's like, yeah, they're freaking monsters. And we cut to an actual monster alien. (laughs) And it's to say that y'all are enemies now, but there is a greater enemy that's going to unite you. That's, Mm -hmm. it's a foreshadowing and a contradiction at the same time (laughs) because you haven't seen a real monster just yet. And I love the, uh, there's this one editing choice that I think is great, which is we're watching, we cut from, I don't even remember what we cut from, but they're cut straight to the girls standing and bitching at somebody before and there she's standing there like chewing them out for a good minute before we cut to revealing that the gang is at her door getting chewed out (laughs) and i love that i love just jumping right into a scene that's one of the adages of you know a good storytelling is go in as late as humanly possible enter a scene as late as you can in this case they jumped straight to or straight past the knock at the door, them coming to the door, them opening the door, and them evaluating and then starting the the bitching. It's like, no, we're going to cut straight to the bitching. <laughs> yeah. And then they get inside. That's just good editing. That's good storytelling. I love the... Uh, no fluff. No fluff. Yeah. Absolutely right. I love the long hold on the door, 191. I don't know the significance of that number at all. Maybe that's an inside thing, or maybe it's just something super obvious I'm missing. But I love that when it takes place and how it takes place because it comes at the tail end of them seeing in the uh, Ron's weed room or whatever, whenever they're watching out the window, all these meteors crashing, they're like, Oh, the more of them things, which I think that was Jamaican. but (laughs) I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) And they're like, Oh, let's go get some more of them. We're going to get paid and let's go tool up. And it shows everyone, running to their house and grabbing their bats and their dog and the machete. And then they cut to Moses after we see everyone else. We see the inside of everyone else's houses. We cut back to Moses entering his house, slamming the door 191 and we dolly back and tilt a little bit to keep the framing and the composition. But it adds so much for one, it adds significant uh, to that place it's a foreshadowing. Like we don't know what's in there. We got to see where everyone else is. We know we're coming back here. This is a significant place that obviously shows up in the climax of the film. Um, we also don't get to see his place like we saw everyone else's because we're not allowed in there. And there's a mystery. There's a reason that he's so private and he's so quiet. He doesn't let anybody in. And it's not until we get to see him through the perspective of the nurse that we really get to have an insight about what this person's life is really like. And it's dramatic and it's not easy because the nurses are adult, responsible, you know, intellectually sharp, uh, educated person. And for her to be in shock about this, it's like, you know what? Maybe I had this guy wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's perfect. It's perfectly timed and wait. It's one of those great ways if you're smart about your story, you withhold information. And if you can do it well, 
make it obvious that you're withholding information and then add a reason why it was held mm-hmm. until later. We, it was withheld in this case because he's withholding it. Yeah. It's not just arbitrary. Right. And it's demonstrated time and time again throughout his character of you know, silence. And so from there, we kind of get into the slow reveal of the monsters and we'll talk about the monsters a little bit because this is, it's hard to do a fresh new monster, you know, and they did it. I feel like it was a really interesting monster. It's, it's stuck with me for sure. Um, I love the slow reveal and it's, it's great because on the one hand, we think we know what the monsters look like at the beginning with that little gray one. And we soon find out, especially through the uh, one detail at a time kind of thing, right? When we see the real monster, it kind of rises up and we get this black outline and then we see its eyes. Oh no, those aren't its eyes. That's its mouth. And it opens its mouth and that's the only thing we can see are the teeth. And I think that's significant, which we'll dive into shortly. Um, but I love the the look of this. It subverts all our expectations uh, that was set up in that first scene. And I love that they... Uh, they get a kill before we really get a good wide shot of them. I don't remember who they kill. Is it the police, the police. officer? Yeah. Yeah. So that's their first real kill, uh, which is also, I think, significant. Well, the, I guess the first kill is the dog. Oh, true. But the first human kill. Super fast. Yeah. 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 The, the uh, Oh, that's interesting. That's kind of adds to it. Um, and so I love how they created these creatures. For one, those are real life puppets that mm-hmm. they start as. And so you have these human beings w- with these kind of screwy looking stilts, like their hands and maybe even their feet. I haven't watched the behind the scenes in a while, but they're, they're on these little stilts that gives them different positioning. And these guys had to get really good at being this completely fantasy creature. Yeah. <laughs> and they did, but they didn't stop there. They said, okay, that's plan. That's step one. Step two is once we get in post, we're going to rotoscope these guys and give them a matte black finish. Now, rotoscoping, if you don't know what that is, is think of it like you're tracing around something. And in uh, film, you rotoscope something in order to add an effect to it. So maybe, I don't know, if you have a lightsaber, maybe you rotoscope that around the lightsaber. Maybe uh, in filming, it was just like a black stick. And you're like, well, we want to give that a little more light and a little more body. So we're going to rotoscope that black stick and in its place, we're going to stick. Uh, now we have this tracking information and we can insert a nice big glow on it. And that's our lightsaber. That's a very simplified version of what it is, but that gives you an idea. <laughs> yeah. And in this case, they rotoscope, they stitched out every fiber of those monsters and then replaced it with nothingness effectively. It's just this matte black finish, which probably added a layer of headache when you're trying to color grade this thing, because yeah. you also want to make sure that the lighting is coming across. If there's a lens flare that's spilling across their bodies, right? You have to figure out how to replace that and make sure you're not screwing that up. <laughs> yeah. Is there any, like you don't ever see it's, they're like a black hole. Basically a black hole. Like, yeah. No light like bounces off of them at None. all. Yeah. And it's beautiful. And they accomplished that. Uh, I'm sure if they could have afforded, you know, perfectly black material, they would have done that. That's probably very expensive at this point. I don't even know if it was available in mm-hmm. whatever, 2010 to 2009 when they were filming this. But that's a huge dedication to getting it right because it may have also been easy for them to just say, you know what, screw the puppets, screw the the physical monsters. We're going to just 
paint everything in like, oh, just imagine there's a monster over there. Instead, they gave everyone something very physical and real to react to, something to jump on the furniture and crack over the head with a lamp or whatever. Uh, that's just a really strong devotion to let's get everything in camera that we can and post the uh, the visual effects are for polishing. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful yeah, work. It's amazing. And I love that the monsters, the real sense, the real uh, strength is their sense. They have a dog sense, right? Like a canine. And that's going to go into the theme, which I'm almost there. <laughs> I'm waiting. So the colors are really strong, like you mentioned. Uh, they have a very strong green, yellow, blue. Yeah. And I can't say that I know for a fact what represents everything. Um, but some of the things that were green are like the nurse in the opening scene. She has this green uh, hoodie on and the, uh, the teeth of the monster had this kind of blue green shade to them. The yellow seems to be a lot of the street lighting, the graffiti tags at the beginning, right? Where we see all the kids' names on the wall. Uh, that's cast in this yellow lighting. And then the kids in the street light before the attack, before they attack the nurse, that's all yellow. Then everything begins shifting to blue once, uh, which I think blue is more of the danger color. And I think it represents something. We have blue with Moses whenever he steps up to rob the nurse. And then when the first monster attacks, like if you see all the shots with the monster in it, that's a lot of blue. And he's being, I think, backlit with a lot of yellow, uh, yellow, orange kind of stuff. Um, and then you have the, uh, the weed room is blue. Hi-hat seems to have a lot of blue coloring around them. The destroyed car is blue. The, uh, the nurse's apartment has a lot of safe colors, uh, like a lot of white balance stuff happening, uh, especially when she's being, uh, talking to her neighbor. And so there's a strong use of colors. They have shocks of red, mostly blood, obviously, but it also seems to be for Moses specifically. Like Moses has this red brim on his hat. Yeah. He also has the, uh, the Spider-Man blanket that's on his bed. That's, you know, oh. a lot of red. Yeah. So they seem to save red mostly for Moses and for the, uh, the carnage and death that the monsters leave. And that's kind of brutal, right? When you get that first swack at the cop, oh, that man. blood splashes the window, heavy and yeah. brutal. But I think, I think blue thematically also represents police and it's been really hard to nail down the the exact theme but i suspect it's something to do with the socioeconomic story about living in the inner city and how community is stronger than any outsider because mm -hmm. if we kind of walk through and specifically i think even more so of everything to me it seems to be about the failed drug war like if you were to tie this into a single allegory, I might say, yeah, this is about the failure of the war on drugs. And if we just kind of walk through some of the stuff that happens throughout the film, first we have the, uh, the attack on the nurse, right? And then you have the alien arriving. The alien intervenes almost to save her life. Like she doesn't know what's going to happen. She knows she's getting robbed. They have a knife. And so for her, her life is at stake. The alien arrives, intervenes, and then is killed by Moses. Um, now, the, uh, the arrival has a lot of fire and whatnot, but that's where we really begin our blue coloring with Moses and the attack and the arrival of the, 
the alien. I think that's kind of an undercover. Maybe yeah. the uh, the alien is representative of an, an undercover. And from a story element, they say, well, Pest says it's an alien. It came here to take over the earth, you know, and from an outsider uh, or from an insider seeing someone come into their neighborhood. That's kind of what it feels like. Your, your block is your world. Yeah. And it feels like someone's coming over you, coming in here to destroy your way of life and to destroy everything that, that you know and care about. And then you jump cut or jump over to the, uh, the nurse and the, uh, the neighbor and their conversation. And the neighbor's like, well, what did the police say? And she's like, this is their busiest night of the year. They, they probably won't even turn up. Like she doesn't even expect anything out of the cops. And that's when they have that little conversation about, yeah, those kids are monsters. Yeah fucking monsters and cut back to the uh what i think would be symbolic of uh an undercover cop Mm. carrying out whatever he thinks is right in the moment and interestingly i think you have to factor in krs1 who's a rapper that sings sound of the police right Mm. and that whole song is about the bully police and um, there's lyrics. I was looking at the lyrics a little while ago. They even have, there's even these lyrics about kicking the cops out of the park. Like everything <laughs> that seems to be thematic is seemingly symbolized in that song in that song choice. Um, which that's the sound of the police sound of the beast. You also think what sound is that? It's a siren. What color is the siren? It's blue. And so, and then blue is also often a shorthand for, uh, the boys in blue, right? The cops. Mm-hmm. And so you also have these, uh, the nurse interviews the, the pol- with the police and then they go on about looking for Moses and cut back to Moses stashing the body in this weed room. And then from that, he gets work from the, the head man, uh, whatever his name, in high hats. And high hats gives him this work or uh, this, this weed that he's going to sell. He stuffs it in his sock. And then this is the interesting thing to me too, is that after, after they go to the park and they find that first really big beast, they run from it only to get caught by the cops. That's when mm. Moses gets caught by the unis, the, the uniform police and what happens to the cops. And so I think it's also a comment that the cops themselves are sometimes victims of the drug war because ultimately it's not their say so they're enacting right. a law. Yeah. And so that's a really interesting perspective that I think they're shining this light on as it, whether or not you consider uh, these are local police versus maybe federal agents, uh, DEA, FBI, what have you. And then the uh, <laughs> it also makes me laugh to think that this college kid's car is destroyed by an undercover cop. Like <laughs> there's all kinds of uh, what do you call it? Collateral damage yeah. in the drug war. And we'll see some of that here in a second. I, one of those things is, you know, this kid's car got ruined. And I think that's one of those things that happens so often in uh, drug cases is confiscation. Like they'll, they'll take your car. They'll impound your car if they find weed in it or suspect you of uh, selling or anything. Uh, you have too much money on you? Oh, great. We're taking that you know, $10,000 and we're confiscating it and you'll probably never get it back. Mm. There are stories, just Google it. There are stories littered, littered throughout there that I wouldn't be surprised that, you know, there's, there, there's some parallels that are trying to be made here. I love the, uh, the van loses its siren as it's going into the building. These kids aren't police. 
you know, they aren't, they aren't the yeah. boys in blue. Yeah. And so that doesn't seem like a happenstance kind of thing either. Right. That's, that's right. pretty intentional filmmaking. And then like we heard at the, uh, the beginning, our clip that we played, there's a refusal to call the cops for help. They don't know which ones are going to help them and which ones aren't. And I'm doing my best to keep my personal opinion out of this. I have all yeah. kinds of opinions, but um, from their perspective, I'm sure maybe they believe that there are good cops out there. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're just so used to being treated a certain way by the police that it's like we have to assume that they're all out for us and that they'll never believe us or trust us when we say that yeah, it's there's something it. really terrible happening. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty realistic view you know, for, for someone in their position. And then there's this great, great line that they're, they're in the nurse's apartment and that she just finished stitching up Pest. And they're talking to her like, oh, well, crap, we didn't know you lived here. And she's like, yeah, well, I'm thinking about moving. And Dennis is like, what do you mean you want to move? She's like, well, I don't really like the area. What do you mean you don't like the area? <laughs> like, <laughs> The irony is just yeah. dripping. <laughs> What's wrong with the area? And then right at that moment, you're a, the beast at the door. Oh. And it's go. like, man, that would... If it's a great way to... Yeah, it's a great a little great segue. Yeah. Because... This is the problem, you know, with living in some of these areas it isn't necessarily the residents. Yeah. It's sometimes the uh, circumstances that the residents live in. Yeah. And now she's being subjected to that, too, mm -hmm. which ultimately hashes back to she's about to find out that the real monster aren't the people she's cohabitating with. It's the people that's beating on the door right now because mm -hmm. they don't make distinctions. Um, I'm certain we've all heard of cases where you know a cop accidentally or brings a raid into the wrong house it was like one door down and there's this really famous case in arizona where uh this baby gets blinded oh and God. deafened by uh, a flashbang that they sent through the window first and it was the wrong house and there's all these unfortunate things that happen as a result of the war on drugs oh my god and you look at something similar, you know, to that would be Dennis. He puts on his helmet, right? Whenever they're in the girl's apartment now, uh, fast forward a few minutes and they turn and see, oh, there's two of these things at our window. And Dennis is like, oh, I got this gun from probs and mayhem. I'm about to handle business. He puts on his helmet and he fires at him. He fires like two shots to figure out crap. This is a cap gun. This is a toy gun. And what happens to him? He immediately gets killed. They take his head off. Yeah. And that's great, you know, literal and figurative symbolically that, you know, sometimes he didn't, he didn't really have a chance <laughs> yeah. to defend himself or to be hurt. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Not that these monsters are interested in, you know, hearing it, but that's some really heavy, deep, you know, sociopolitical stuff that were, that, that it would be symbolizing if this is the case. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of this uh, really, subtle and that's kind of the great thing about if you write it properly you know that there's a lot of subtlety involved in it and lastly i think going back to the creature design itself you have that blue green color in their teeth i think because drug war has one of the common things is a canine right and the canines smell out the weed in your car or in airports or whatever. And so those monsters, that's, that's their pheromone. That's what they're really hunting for is the war on drugs that we're sent. We're trying to smell out, sniff out the, the pot, the weed. And ultimately 
that's where they're trying to get to. That's where the body is. Uh, and so I don't think that's a coincidence, you know, filmmaking wise. Yeah. And it's kind of hard to know what is and what isn't. I think yeah. there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of conjecture in what sure we sit here and say, but that's, that's the point. Yeah. Right. Is a that if it made film, you think that, yeah. you know, cause it can work on a lot of layers. Maybe you say, Oh, it's not about the war on drugs at all. It's just about, you know, what it's like to live on the inner city and you're trying to make your way through life and uh, you're resorting doing the things that you need to do in order to survive. And maybe the forces on the outside are making it tough mm. to allow you to live. There's a thousand ways. And if you create your story properly, it can service a number of layers because that's a beautiful thing. Once you're done creating it, you don't really get to control the meaning anymore. You're done. Your job is yeah. done. Now, the art is in the eye of the beholder. It's the same with with songs, man. There are so many, like, Damien Rice is a good example. When I heard O for the first time, it wrecked me completely. Yep. And uh, unfortunately, I found out what a couple of those songs are about, and I'm not going to say, but it's just, it was, like, really very destructive on, on how I viewed the whole record. Because I, you know, like... You hear a song and it means something to you. And if you find out that, no, the artist wrote it about this X thing, well, I don't know. Maybe it doesn't affect how some people see it, but it affects how I see it because I know what what it came, where it came from, mm -hmm. the impetus behind it. Like all that shit matters if I know it. Yeah. If I know the truth about it, but if I just if I play ignorant and oh, I just cannonball, like, yeah, yeah, man. right, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it would it just kind of was like very upsetting when yeah. I when I found that out. So uh, I it's the same with film. I think whatever you can take from it, that's what it that's what it's supposed to be about. Yeah. So if that's what you're taking from this film, then I think that's the message that it was supposed to try to send to you. I you love know? that. Yeah. Sidestepping into like so. You and I both think of this as a sci-fi film, obviously, because it's it's got aliens, man. <laughs> but obviously, it's a horror film, too. It's a, like a sci-fi horror film. And I love... They don't shy away. There's certain gimmicks that a lot of horror films resort to, and they don't really shy away from a lot of them. Um, some, some things are just tried and true. If you can do it and add your own flair and style to it, great. But just to run down a couple, and this will be it. Uh, in the garage, we have the monster drops down behind the car. Mm -hmm. And then whoever uh, Hi Hat's buddy is, he walks up to the uh, the car and suddenly he's not there. Like that's such an old trope of, and we see this in action movies too, where uh, the hero quietly gets away whenever we weren't looking, and they're only selling that through changing the angle. Like, oh, we saw him drop down, and now we change the angle, uh, a reverse angle back to our heroes. Now anything can happen because it's out of sight, right? And we, when we're sneaking back, we, we catch a small glimpse of it out of focus in the background before it uh, jumps up and absolutely destroys the whole buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he gets them pretty good. You also have the, uh, the fall down tension, right? A scooter falls down and the alien gets yeah. close and we pick it back up and we're going. You have all these close calls where Alex barely beats the alien to the door and gets inside. But I love the little twist here because... He gets bit anyway. Yeah. It's not a clean getaway. Yeah. And now he's got to pay a price uh, and it adds a layer of, oh, these kids aren't untouchable. That would never happen in a Spielberg film. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's exactly. the first departure. Yeah. Um, and so this kid, and it also gives a really good excuse for them to go to the nurse's apartment now. Yeah. 
because they know they already looked and they mocked her even yeah. like, oh, you you're robbing these low wages. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's like, oh, we need them. And it's funny because he was the one mocking her. Yeah. And now he's the one now that needs her. needs her. Yeah. And so that's just great storytelling, subtle, subtle storytelling. And now it gives us a reason to join these two parties. Oh, I love the uh, Dennis dies. And that becomes kind of a turning point for our hero. Whenever he sees his buddy dies and he does nothing, that becomes his... And I think a lot of horror films have one of those moments that's like, what's your do or die moment? What's the moment that's going to push you into taking action? Mm -hmm. Um, And for Moses, it was listening to his buddy die. Um, I love the killing off the gang, which the crew has to die. If you're going to make a horror film, you got to kill some of your darlings. Yeah. um, As I think Ginsburg once said. And you create tension through that. You create all this unpredictability by being willing to kill your people. Like that's just, Mm -hmm. you have to. And if you do it really well, it's someone that we like. And that just adds so much tension to the rest of your film. It flips everything on its head. All of a sudden you don't know what to expect in the next scene. You know, love that. Uh, And then there's all these, you know, obligatory jump scares, right? He's looking through the door. eye hole. Oh God. That jumps out. Uh, he's looking- we're never going to get away from that. That's just ever. Even in great, great movies, you just can't get away from that kind of thing. You it's, really can. It's such low-hanging fruit. It is. I mean, yeah. If you can spare as much of it as you can, great. But they they let that moment hang just enough, and they do this subtle little sound cue of this kind of weird alien noise. It's, it sounds like a child's noise almost, and right before it pops up, it's just, What's the sound, Wes? Oh, God. Here we go. It's like a... <laughs> yeah it's, it's so weird but it's perfect yeah. um it, it's kind of the, the sound that their teeth make um or their growl i yeah. guess and then maybe the most painful is the uh the lighter it mm. won't quite start yeah oh let's go yeah just in time <laughs> they do it with the kids and they do it with moses at the end um it's yeah the just in time stroke mm-hmm. there's one other thing i can't believe i didn't mention it and this is a great, I don't know if you would relegate it just to horror films, but I love the use of color um, whenever they're outside of her apartment and they're making the decision to leave or not, to stay or go. We have the hallway is blue and the inside of the apartment has this kind of white light that's, that's pouring through it and lighting everyone. And they're having to make this decision to go into the danger or to stay in safety. But it's kind of a foolish safety. And so... Yeah, it's just yeah. a simple use of lighting to enhance, you know, the the horror and the stakes, yeah. the tension. Here's where we are. Here's what's not safe. And it's all subtly implied to the viewer. These things that we don't notice it's, are being shoved on us. It's so well done. You don't even notice it. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So that is Muscle Manos. I th- feel like I could talk about this one for a while, but I think yeah. that sums it up. Do you have a reco for the week? I do, and I hope I'm not taking yours. Unlikely. Okay, good. Good. Uh, yesterday, Ooh. we got to see a sneak peek of A Quiet Place. Uh, I'm not going to say anything other than go see the movie. Yeah. It's stuck with me still to this moment. I, I awesome. cannot stop thinking about that film. <laughs> you talk about good Phil, yeah. just go see the movie. Yeah, go see I the movie. I don't want to say anything at We're all. We're really lucky. It comes out April 5th. Go yeah. watch it. Yeah. Super excited. And we'll even be doing an episode on that in the future. Yes, sir. 
I'm going to recommend Green Street Hooligans. Yeah, definitely didn't steal yours. Yeah, <laughs> it's this uh, little film with Elijah Wood. It's about him going to Britain. He like has to leave Harvard and he tries to go live with his sister and makes a connection with, I think, her boyfriend or something. I haven't seen it in a while, but it's another great little English film that is full of interesting characters and thought provoking uh, moments. Yeah. Watch Green Street Hooligans. If you want to see the trailers to these, we'll be posting them in the links at the pestlepodcast.com slash attack the block. Boom. <laughs> so, yeah. So this was great. So what are we going to do next weekend? We're going to do, week. we're going to continue the, the descent into darkness. Good. It's going like to it. keep getting dark for the next few weeks. Yeah. And next stop in the slow descent is Alien. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yes, I'm excited about that, man. And believe me, you want to tune in. Go watch it this next week. Tune in because you are not going to believe what this movie is really about. It will blow your mind. Really? Maybe I've oversold it. <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs> oh, man. Now I can't wait for next week. <laughs> Oh, we'll make sure that you guys go and subscribe, please, and review us and uh, on iTunes, and leave us a note uh, saying what you want us to talk about and the kinds of things you, that you find interesting and and uh, movies that you want to uh, hear us talk about. All those things, it matters. It puts food on the table, not really, but it actually <laughs> it means a lot to our psyche to know that people are actually listening um, and that care about this. So please, you know, go go give us a shout out and a review it, it it does it does help out awesome this week's quote of the day comes from mark twain yep and it goes like this i came in with haley's comet in 1835 it is coming again next year and i expect to go out with it it will be the greatest disappointment of my life if i don't go out with haley's comet the almighty has said no doubt now here are these two unaccountable freaks. They came in together. They must go out together. End quote. Mark Twain was indeed born just after Haley's Comet appeared in 1835. And he died of a heart attack one day after it appeared at its brightest in 1910. That's crazy. Wow. <laughs> That's really crazy. <laughs> like, way to call your shot, bro. <laughs> How old was he when he... He was like 75, 76, no, 76, because it happens every 76 years. Right, yeah. So, oh, okay, so he was maybe on his deathbed, or like, he knew he was going to be dying. Yes, well, it was a heart attack, I don't... Well, I mean, like, when you're 35, and you say, hey, in 36 years... Yeah, but to be, I guess, 76 years old in 1910, you got to be expecting... Oh, yeah, for sure. At some point in the next decade. That's it for me. Well, yeah, or the next three weeks. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. The timing of that's kind of crazy. Yeah, that's insane, man. Way to go, Mark Twain. I like it. I like the the I like the um, the outer space reference. Yeah, in, in relation to what we just talked about. Too. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. Like a yeah. kind of a comet thingy. What you call it? Yeah. I Anyways, it. <laughs> and scene. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Uh, tell all your friends about it. And next week, make sure to tune in. We're going to do Alien. We're going to find out what that is really about. I'm excited. I know you all are. And until then, I'm Todd. I'm Wes. Go watch some movies.